Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Isco. I am your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your regular host, the ghost of Marla Hooch. <laughs> That's, oh wow, okay. Listen, uh, if you hosted this podcast with a ghost, I think that people would love that. So maybe Absolutely. you should try to do that. It's dark, though. It's so yeah, dark. It's, it's great. Uh, with really us dark. today, she's here. She's finally here, guys. Emily's better half. Libby Hill is here to talk with us about, I mean, arguably the best film of 1992. Maybe arguably one of the best films the greatest of the 90s. Film of all time. It's a, a perfect movie. We're here. We're talking uh, The Rockford Peaches. We're talking A League of Their Own. Libby, I feel like... We did Steel Magnolias yeah. many moons ago. Yes. And, you know, this movie has a little bit of a Steel Magnolias vibe to it. And I only say that in the sense that, you know, it's it's a big cast of women bonding to some degree or another. But I, it has a similar... I thought you similar... meant, like, because I can quote every line. Well, um... <laughs> that might be true, too. But I do feel like, I mean, obviously, these films are about five years apart or three years apart, whatever it is. And I'm just sort of like, they have a similar feel. And I'm wondering, is this young Libby? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is like seminal Libby. This is, um, <laughs> these are, there are, there are some like, some foundational uh, films in, in the Libby um, archives and, and both Steel Magnolias and, um, and a league of their own are are there. Like I, I would be hard pressed to to identify others that join that that are more influential. In I think. Sure. Um, but uh, God, I love Patter. Um, sure. I love beautiful statuesque women. <laughs> um, 
obviously, which I, I mean, didn't quite wife, understand obviously. at the time, uh, but but in retrospect, makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, no, I I um, I love the way women interact. I love I love women who generally care about each other and have enthusiasm at doing things together. And it's not just, it's not just like girl stuff. It's just, it's not so like a league of their own is mm-hmm. so special because uh, I was raised in a sports family. Like that is the oh, language okay. I have to have a, um, I have to keep track of, of sports to a, a vague degree. Um, okay. so I Baseball can, you know, specifically or all no, sports? no, no, just sort of all sports. Like that, that's the really frustrating thing. It was all sports growing up. And now my, my dad, my parents have settled just on like the, the university they went to, like, that's the only okay. thing they care about. And that is such a, like, a, a pretty so winnowed it down so it's, much. And like, like we also, we went to South Dakota state university and like, that is so hard to watch in Los Angeles. Angeles. Like, you can't say really that. follow it. It's you have to no. just kind of like. <laughs> so I'll be like, okay, so like the twins. So for example, we grew up as a twins household. Uh, the twins, the, for those that don't know, like made the playoffs, had their first playoff win in eighteen in years. Eighteen years this year. I could not sit down and be Crazy. like, so how about those twins to my dad? Because like he's abandoned them, and I'm just like, then why? I still care. <laughs> I'm broken. Well, Anyway, it, women playing sports. <laughs> it's wild. But I, I, I think this was what's interesting about the the Steel Magnolians comparison to some degree is also the uh the way that the group scenes are directed is very kind of messy and people kind of talking over each other, and yet such well-defined supporting characters like the bench no pun intended of this cast and how deep it goes and how much we feel like we know people based on a very short interaction earlier in the film is just spectacular and 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 it's that kind of plate spinning that i think both these films do incredibly well um you it's even interesting too because like watching it this time i found myself kind of looking at the background players a little bit more and and feeling as though they're all really cast well too like they all have really good faces they all feel like they're a part of this it's because i think in in lesser hands your stars would be popping out in the foreground and everybody else would kind of bleed and yet it all kind of feels like a family it's 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 incredible it really is i uh i've seen this movie four or five times which is a lot for me i don't watch movies a lot um i but repeatedly uh, yeah I, yeah i don't watch movies repeatedly um it's just not my style but i was watching this with libby the other night for the show and she sure. was saying every line along with it and i was like what is this like what's <laughs> no we we rewatched zodiac last night uh just for fun Sure. Uh, and like that's like a that's like a comfort film for me. I've seen sure. that five or six times, and I was watching that, and I was like, I could get to a place where I could quote every line of this movie. That's a movie that's like the Emily sensibility mm-hmm. is me being like an impression of Jake Gyllenhaal going, "I've walked it," but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I does anyone like, have any does anyone have any nicknames for me? <laughs> <laughs> Libby. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Libby was just like reading, saying every line alongside everyone. And like, obviously I know like there's no crying in baseball. Like they're really like famous lines, 
but yeah, I uh, and I love this movie back in 93 whenever I first saw it because I saw it on video and then I, I married someone who loves it even more and like so we've so we saw it in theaters when it was at the Alamo we've seen it uh, on video a few times and it just yeah it's it's it is a great great movie and I am I'm kind of sad I didn't become obsessed with it to the degree that a lot of women my age did. Well, and I got to be honest with you, I was really obsessed with it as well. This was a real staple for me, too. I mean, I've seen it innumerable times. I knew most of the dialogue as I was watching it the other day. Um, and I, I think I never saw it on the I've never seen it on the big screen. And I would love to someday because I'm sure it looks great. Um, you know, I don't quite know why 12 year old Phil had such a connection to this movie. Um, I mean, I, as, as Emily knows, I'm, I'm a big softie, but I, I don't know what it was about it. Um, it's my favorite baseball movie, even though there are great uh, others that I love, you know, your build, your bull Durham's, your money balls, what have you. Uh, but this movie has such a big heart. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's just so kind and sweet and, and funny, you know, reading, doing the research on the, on the production of this film, it was not easy. It was a bumpy movie, to say the least. It, it went through various sort of iterations and uh, almost didn't get made on, on various occasions, which is insane to me. Um, I'm also kind of amazed that this movie was a big hit. It's still the basically the most successful baseball movie for all intents and purposes. Um, it, it, it made more than uh, Field of Dreams and, and Bull Durham combined. Um, and yet at the same time, it doesn't open number one at the box office. It, it opens number two to, to Batman Returns. Does it ever hit number one? I yeah, feel like next it, weekend. It oh, does it the next weekend? Oh, next so it's weekend. one of the few that... that, that yeah, okay, great. it had only like an 11 or 15% drop. This is the thing, right? Where it's like, you you have to assume that the word of mouth on this movie is incredibly high. Um, it comes out right in the middle of summer, which is super oh. smart. Like this movie is just like primed for all of this. And great counter programming for for Batman Returns. Yeah, like yeah. I, um, I've I've never seen Batman Returns. Really? I, okay. I it, which is um, for for as much as I had, I grew up with a, a significant amount of brothers, um, which often w will skew, you know mm -hmm. what what you see at the movies. Sure. Um, we definitely saw League of Their Own in theaters. Sure. Um, and my you brother didn't... loved it. Like we would watch it on when we had it on VHS, we would watch it and he would just like laugh. We would, we would quote along with like John Lovitz, uh, like the, get these wild animals away from me. Um, yeah. So, so like, like there, there was a, there was a, a, a commonality there, but then also like, that's great counter programming. If you have kids that aren't interested or aren't old enough to go see batman returns which was kind of where we were at in my sure. um in my household like that's just it's you still get to go out to the movies and have a great time and and i think there was there was plenty of people who wanted to go out you know that weekend and, and see something that wasn't absolutely so dark you also like grew up with brothers but of your many siblings not a one of them was a nerd like you are you are the closest to a nerd and you're so obviously a jock as we all know and like, but yeah, it was so like, you know, um, I think that, you know, a lot like I, when I showed you, I showed you Batman's Burton's Batman 1989 in like 
I don't know, 2009 or 2010, we made it halfway in and you were like, what the fuck is this? And then we shut it off. So like that was uh, never been a big Burton person. Let's just that's fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it is true what you're saying that like 92 and we're obviously going to talk Batman Returns at at, at some point. um, But I, I this comic book movies weren't really a thing right like it was it's it, it was still kind of nascent and then on top of everything as we'll discuss batman Returns is a weird ass movie that like almost went out of its way to thumb its nose at like anyone that didn't really you know dig it well you know yes. uh we did see Dick Tracy in theaters as yes, family. Yes, so, yeah. So I don't know. I don't actually great. know why we missed out on on Batman. Probably because it didn't have enough McDonald's cross promotion. But um, it had so I, much McDonald's cross promotion. I, I think it was what because was it rated that, I PG thirteen. PG thirteen. Dick Tracy was PG. And like I think that there, I think that one of the things that happened to Batman Returns is it very quickly got like uh, uh, sort of painted with the brush of this is way too weird and sexy for kids because yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer's performance in that is is a walking fetish and it's she's <laughs> so Pfeiffer exists and was in the, the film she's so good in it and her whole thing is just like like she's it's sex personified like that's how she's playing that character to be clear. Uh, I do think that it uh, would have terrified and isolated you. And also you would have been like, no, I'm into that a little bit. Hmm." There's something interesting about this. I mean, I, I think ultimately, I think Emily's right. That movie got kind of um, tagged with the parent associations coming at it. And it sort of became this don't, don't take your kids to see this movie. Um, Whereas the league of their own is, Although they do say shit a lot. Of, like I, I was, I, this time I was watching it being like, they swear a fair amount in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm not against it, but I was like, I was a little surprised. I, I guess I just didn't really realize it. But there's like um, no, there's no sex. There's no violence. It's very much like if you're looking for yeah. a family friendly movie in summer of 92, it's yes. kind of this. And sure. that's like, obviously there were other choices. I don't know. It, there was some swing dancing and some tight dresses. Ooh, and Madonna was in it. True. Madonna yeah. was in it. And Madonna is as pulled back as Madonna is in this movie. She is also walking sex in this movie. I love it. What it's worth. She's so funny. She's tremendous in this film. And and it's uh it's amazing how I mean, I don't again, I wasn't paying attention to entertainment magazines or any of those sort of things as a kid. So I don't really have any sense of any of that stuff. But reading about her casting kind of being not an issue but like deborah winger claims she left the movie because of madonna she said that you know she felt as though it was trivializing this and you know we were just gonna she took all of madonna's baggage and kind of put it onto this movie um i don't think that i mean listen i think deborah winger is a tremendous actor that being said it's a very different movie with deborah winger as Dottie henson um a a a far less sort of popcorn movie quite honestly um but the madonna of it all she doesn't and this is probably to penny marshall's credit as well in terms of the writing in terms of the the editing and what have you but like she doesn't swallow the movie when she's in scene she's great but she's part of an ensemble it never feels like the madonna show except for you know a dance sequence which is great and give madonna all the dance sequences in the world um but it, it it was interesting to watch at this time thinking about post dick tracy 
everyone's favorite movie, a movie that we, the three of us, did see uh, together in the theater relatively recently. Listen, whenever we are done Libby with 90, loved it. whenever we're done with ninety two, let's just do podcast like it's Dick Tracy. Podcast like it's Dick Tracy. One minute every week of Dick Tracy, and we just go deep. I mean, it'd be the greatest podcast ever, quite honestly. Yeah, and Libby has to be on it every week. Every week. To talk about the makeup because she loved the makeup. What did I do? <laughs> <laughs> what, what did, did you do, do to deserve this? This is thing? like this is like when I had to go when I we when I have to go on every podcast to talk about bicentennial man. You've only done it on one, <laughs> but that uh, was an episode, guys. If you haven't listened to that episode, the, you should uh, to that episode. this this had Oscar buzz. Guys are so upset they can't do it because it got the makeup nom, and so now on their Patreon they're doing things that had only got one or two nominations, but had way more buzz. And I'm like, listen, my wife loves Bicentennial Man. I would love to chat Bicentennial. It's such a the, bitch. <laughs> the thing about so I was um I watched the um blank check patreon episode on fincher's music videos recently so i which was awesome and there's obviously a bunch of madonna videos in there um and i sort of was putting myself back into the headspace of like early 90s madonna and the iconography of that and this is such a smaller thing do you know what i mean in terms of it's it's not her showcased in the same way that she had been which I think is interesting. Here is, here is when I knew this. This is there's a singular scene that proves that Penny Marshall knew exactly what she was doing, casting mm-hmm. Madonna, uh, and that honestly that Deborah Winger was wrong, and it's to the movie's benefit that she opted out. But yes. in the scene where they sing the song, uh, mm-hmm. Madonna's not the one leading that song. Someone else starts. Madonna jumps in in harmony like so you have one of the biggest music artists in the world uh one of the most historically significant musical artists in the world singing harmony she's not the lead she's not drawing attention because it doesn't really fit with her character we haven't learned anything about the character having musical gifts or anything like that we know she's a dancer and we see Mm -hmm. that she's a dancer um and that's it penny marshall knew that madonna had more to give in this role than just being madonna and she did she, she's spectacular and exactly and like i can't i legitimately cannot imagine anyone else in that role um so to like i i, I don't know i think it, it was a visionary choice and an, an inspired you have to have a real confidence to make a decision like that and then to be like I can I can do this. I can make this work and 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 she can work within this this team in this ensemble. Well, that's, that's the key word in my opinion, which is that this movie is a team, right? Like it is not despite the fact that yes, there are lead performances. Gina Davis is unquestionably the lead performance in the movie. At the same time, it does feel like everyone's working towards a common goal and it really is an ensemble i mean tom hanks is cat is you know build first in this movie he doesn't appear for 30 minutes um you know I, I think that it's just even even in tom hanks's performance maybe most tom hanks's performance feels as though he's a coach to a team and wants everybody kind of working towards a common goal it's it is int- i think it's madonna's probably best performance Performance. she's great in dick tracy obviously but 
She's real. She's really good in Evita. I will stand up for Madonna in Evita. That movie. That movie's a boring, boring, overlong thing. But (laughs) she's so good in it. She is so good. I yes, sir. I will say. I think that this is her least Madonna. Absolutely, it's the easiest to forget that she's Madonna. Yes, it's also. It needs to be said. This, so Dick Tracy comes out at 90. You've got Madonna Truth or Dare, which comes out in 91. She's also in Shadows and Fog in 92, but we'll just, just we'll, we'll forget about that. I don't even know what that is. It's the Woody Allen movie, the black and white Woody Allen German expressionist movie. Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, they would just let him do whatever the fuck he wanted, huh? <laughs> they really, really did. Uh, she's in this, and then she's in Body of Evidence in 93, which is obviously a notoriously uh, sexy movie. But... It's it's worth noting, this movie comes out in July of 92. Erotica, the album, comes out in October of 92. And then the sex book comes out shortly thereafter. And it's interesting to me, because in my brain, I thought that, uh, that League of Their Own was after Erotica and after all that stuff. And that it was closer to sort of the bedtime stories era of Madonna. And yet it wasn't. Like the song at the end of this movie, which rips, this used to be my playground, is a great fucking song. And that feels like something that would be on the Bedtime Stories album, not... So it is interesting that this is wedged in there, uh, and you just almost wish that she ran with this ball, no pun intended, then doing the sex stuff or whatever. Right. I suppose it's difficult when your main... When your main gig is kind of completely different than, uh, you know, and she got so much, you know, shit for her acting, which isn't necessarily undeserved. Uh, I think she had a lot of talent, but clearly, um, I mean, it's it's sort of like Michael Jordan playing baseball, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. you can still be better than 95% of people, but, you know you're definitely not the greatest of all time uh no. so yeah. i think she she also i mean listen madonna is madonna yeah she was outspoken yeah she was always a person that was going to kind of say how she felt about things yeah. but i don't know that she did herself a ton of favors when it came to this movie in particular she apparently was quite a grump on set she bitched and complained about indiana the entire time she's basically I mean, been barred from certain establishments in indiana listen, um, that's, a, that's that's a rational response i have spent a long uh, amount of time in indiana and that is yeah that, i right, mean fair. that makes me feel better about her honestly um <laughs> I want to. I want to stand great. up for sex. The concept. No. Okay. Um, I. I thought you were going to stand up the for concept. Indiana, yeah. and I'm like, get the fuck out. But no. sex, I will entertain. I do think that, like, for you know, for as much as I love her in this movie, for as much as I love her in other movies, um, sure. I do think that her willingness to tackle American prudery was like really a valuable thing i remember in the 90s like madonna was like one of those people that like we talked about as though she was like the great jezebel of the book of revelation and to be clear she was but you um, specifically she, in your like weird christian yeah sect, in my weird yes. in my weird christian but like and but she like would do a thing you know mm-hmm. she would like do be in a thing she would do a thing and people would be like well that's madonna she's in a league of their own how can we possibly watch that movie it's going to be too sexy and it was literally just like her acknowledging that sex existed and being forthright about it and being like willing to embrace her 
her feminine, you know, attractive sexuality was like a really revolutionary thing. And like, yeah, I wish she had like submitted more often to like great directors. You know, I think about how often she worked with Fincher and how he like knew what to pull out of her. And like, Mm -hmm. if she had worked with him on some film project, I feel like she would have revolted. She would have hated his process, but like they would have, they would have like he could have gotten i think a really i think she could have gotten a really amazing performance if she had submitted to more directors who had like strong visions like warren Beatty, like uh penny marshall but i also i do appreciate that she like took this ball of i'm gonna like make america okay with women being sexual and obviously we are very okay with that it's a thing that we now have no hang-ups about whatsoever but like she did advance that you know however far i don't mean to suggest that her trying to sort of shake up the puritanical establishment of this country is a bad thing and Mm -hmm. certainly i'm all for uh body positivity and all the various things that she's I mean, when you have Madonna's body, it's easy to be positive about it. Is it is easy but... to be. I, but I, I also just feel as though, and it's a product of the time that this all happened, right? I mean, she was trying to do this in 92, 93, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is not the time. It would have been a hard time to break those ceilings. At the same time, I'm not sure that, like, the execution of it at the time was particularly... Um, great it's so it's so forthright and it's so in your face at a time when like uh you know america was loosening up a bit from the 80s you know uh, you know we're in the clinton era but it's also the era of the religious right really coming into being and like i always forget this but like this period when she's kind of mired in controversy and she then sort of tries to become a serious actress and it doesn't quite work and then she makes um it's ray of light and like that is her big Grammy winner. It's like five years in my when I was living it, experience it. It felt like it was like twenty five years. Yeah. You know, hundred percent, hundred percent. I do want to give a little bit of context on A League of Their Own, the movie that we're talking about today. Uh, as America's stock of athletic young men is depleted during World War II, yeah. a professional all baseball league springs up in the Midwest, funded by publicity hungry candy maker Walter Harvey, played by Gary Marshall, competitive sisters Dottie Hinson, played by Gina Davis, and Kit Keller, played by Lori Petty, spar with each other. Scout Ernie Cappadino, played by John Lovitz, and grumpy has been coach Jimmy Dugan, played by Tom Hanks. Uh, are on their way to fame. Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell co-star as two of the sisters' teammates. It's a very strange Google synopsis. A League of Their Own opened on July 1st, 1992 against Batman Returns, Boomerang, Sister Act, Unlawful Entry, and of course, The Mighty Ducks. It would go on to make $132 million on a $40 million budget. That's 81% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 84% from audiences, far too low on both counts as far as I'm concerned. I went and looked this up on Letterboxd and was surprised how many of my friends were like, two and a half three stars and that's just saying to me fuck how I are those think, people your friends oh um, well i i i have a lot of weird friends let's just <laughs> let's just I, let's just come out with it right now sure. i'm gonna list some of the ones who are the weirdest as you should can we like, point we'll put to that on the wiki accounts? so people can yeah, always yeah. no i uh i do have some theories both on why the three of us find this movie so rewatchable and why a lot of people don't but we'll talk about that a little bit later I when i think i think um, the screenplay of this movie is fucking weird but it's great yeah, we can talk about that. I, I do want to uh, read a little bit of Roger Ebert's three-star review, which I think kind of 
feels like the base of how people responded to the film. Uh, until seeing Penny Marshall's League of Their Own, I had no idea that an organization named the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League ever flourished in this country. Even though I was 12 when it closed up shop and therefore an age to collect baseball cards and listen to the Cardinals on the radio, the league was formed in 1943 when it briefly appeared that the men's baseball would be a casualty of war. And once men came marching home in its... Uh, uh, marching home is a wonder the league survived until 1954. Then it was co-signed to oblivion. Uh, history is written by the victors. A League of Their Own follows many of the time-honored formulas of sports movies and a fair assortment of stock characters. The plain girl that gains confidence, the brash girl with the heart of gold, the jealous sisters. But it has another level that's a lot more interesting. This ambiguity about a woman's role is probably in the movie because it was directed by a woman, Penny Marshall. A man might have assumed that these women knew how all-important baseball was. Marshall shows her female characters in a tug of war between new images and old values so that her movie is about transition about how it felt as a woman suddenly to have new roles and freedom the movie has a real bittersweet charm the baseball sequences we've seen before what's fresh are the personalities of the players the gradual unfolding of their coach and the way this early chapter of women's liberation fit into the hidebound traditions of professional baseball by the end when the women get together again for the reunion it's touching the way they have to admit that what do you know they were real pioneers there's a patronizing component to this review that feels like perhaps raj. that was how critics impressed. raj 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 I uh, I think I, watching it this time, I thought a lot about the Demi movie Swing Shift, which I think is similar in a lot of ways and also similar in that like his original cut, which is very hard to see. But I downloaded it illegally off the Internet at one point um, is uh, uh, it's like it is so much more just about what is it like to be a woman in a world where suddenly like you are thrust into you can have a job you can do all of these yes. things and society's expecting that of you and then of course the studio was like what if there was a romance in this and that's what it became in the, the theatrical cut is okay but the the his cut is a masterpiece and like uh and they it, were did they just get together around that time am i crazy kurt russell and goldie were like yeah i think a yeah new couple around yeah. that time yeah. yeah so it's uh I, but I was thinking about that. Like, there is this, like, kind of, in, there's a TV show called Homefront, which is also around these themes, which is very good. Start a young Kyle Chandler, like, super hot. Obviously, Kyle Chandler's <laughs> always been hot. But Still hot. But, yeah. like, there, there is this sort of unexplored, like, fertile ground for movies, because mm -hmm. we keep going back to World War II, because baby boomers can't get over their father issues. But, like, there is this unexplored territory of women in World War II suddenly being thrust into leadership roles at home and in uh, the military front. And, uh, you know, we, we don't really like this is like the best story about that. And it's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting that we haven't had more stories about you know what it's really puzzling. We haven't had more stories about women produced it's in shocking. Hollywood. It really is. I don't know why I, that is. I, What's interesting, though, and I hadn't thought about this until as you were talking, Emily, but like, you know, World War Two opens up this corridor, if you will, right, for women all of a sudden to be a part of the workforce, to be a part of society in a way that they hadn't been previously. You have to ask yourself whether or not the feminist movement would have been as, you know, effective had world war ii not happened it's, right it's, had there not been a foothold there it's fascinating because uh there's a similar thing that happens in world war one like mm -hmm. and uh at that point the military was uh, heavily segregated it still wasn't world war ii but like those walls were starting to break down so you have this thing where 
um, women and people of color are entering the workforce in America in sure, like sure. unprecedented degrees. And then the war ends and there's a huge crackdown. Like the, like, like sure. there's this, like people are thrown in jail for labor organizing. There's all this stuff that happens. Okay. Women are sort of forced back into the home. People of sure. color are increasingly forced out of these jobs. Uh, and, but that's also the environment that gives us the amendment that gave women the right to vote. And it's also the environment that gave us uh, prohibition, which is also driven by women, which is like a very, but it was driven by women because so many of them were like, you know, the victims of domestic violence at the hands of, right, 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 of right, right. their husbands who were drunks. Uh, so just labeling the entire like men of 1920 drunks. Um, but uh, I mean, but yeah, like there's a reason. similar. I mean, they did go to a great war. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean to be he did fair, come back broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then not allowed to talk about it uh, yeah. whatsoever. Uh, the, the, the system uh, may have had some flaws, but there's like there is like a similar thing that happens in World War II, and the fifties are like a, a backlash to that. But it's also like now the door's been opened too wide because we've gone through this twice, and now we've got we've got to go right. to this position of like, and the sixties, of course, is when the feminist movement really sure. takes off. But it is this like weird, it is this like weird progression of history that a league of their own taps into. Sometimes in clumsy ways. Uh, sure, it, we will talk, we about talk about the scene. No, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about that scene. Player. It just didn't exist. <laughs> we, I you know, it's interesting. It's in this movie because it's so. Bad. It is. It's not good, but it's also interesting because I in, the, in some of the research that I did for this, we'll talk about this scene very briefly right now, Libby, because it's not a scene that I also particularly want to expound on. But um, there is an interview in BuzzFeed in 2017 when Lowell Gans was asked about it, and his quote is. Uh, it did bother us that in order to be historically accurate about the league, we could not have a diverse cast. We came upon that scene as a way to make the point. A lot of people have commented on it over the years, and I'm very glad we included it in the film. I agree with him that like it, there needed to be some sort yeah, of an acknowledgement. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the scene is a little bit hacky. <laughs> and also, I, and I don't, don't actually know a better way to have done it the the solution the tv show comes up with is much better but it's the kind of thing you can only do in a tv show which is they have a parallel track about a black woman who cannot play in this league and is like but is like an amazing baseball player and is like trying to make her own way through various like amateur softball leagues and things like that Mm -hmm. so um and also that shows much more forthright about queerness and like but that is the kind of stuff you you can't really do in a movie in 1992, you can't do the queerness, and like yeah. you can't do a parallel story to Gina Davis's here without like tanking sort of the ensemble quality. So it is kind of like a thing you can only do in TV. I, I totally agree with that. I, you know, I, I want to talk about the cast a little bit. Specifically, I want to talk about Gina Davis for a second because I feel like huh. oh, for a second, okay. Well, yeah, for the for the whole time. Um, what I mean is, it's interesting. For, first of all as we mentioned, the whole Deborah Winger of it all. But then there was also a Demi Moore part of this as well. So Demi Moore was going to be cast in the movie and Penny Marshall said that she got pregnant. And basically Penny Marshall is quoted in saying Bruce Willis literally screwed her out of the part. And I, I, which I think is kind of amazing, (laughs) but I, I do think I can, I can wrap my head around a Demi Moore version of this. Um, I think she actually might have been great in it, quite honestly. Um, but Gina Davis is so Dottie Henson 
Hinson, it's insane to me that anyone was ever considered and that she was slotted into this weeks before production. It's, it is, it's incredible. First of all, everyone needed to know how to play baseball. Um, so there were tryouts. There was a whole thing. I wish the, to be a fly on the wall for these tryouts to see all these actors trying to show that they can play baseball. Um, and the three month training camp. Insane. Incredible. I, I think, I do think that like, there is a thing about Gina Davis where um, they kind of cut around her baseball playing. So I think maybe she wasn't as adept as some of the others, but you see her and you buy that she's a gifted athlete. It's, she's yeah. just like, she's tall, she's lithe, but she's like built in an interesting yes. way. So you were yeah. just like, okay, this woman can obviously hit home runs every time she comes up to the plate. It, there's like a, It's like a thing where even though she's maybe not as effective as some of the other women in the cast, like mm-hmm. her, her just whole physique really works for her in this part. But also as the catcher, uh, we don't have to see her in movement in the outfield as much and if she's always hitting home runs she doesn't really have to leg it out on the bases either i feel like the perfect metaphor for what you're both talking about is um so gina davis can do the splits but she can't slide into the splits so there was someone that actually did the movement from behind of her going into the splits and then there's the shot of her doing the splits that to me is a perfect emblem of of like what Gina Davis is bringing to the role, right? She could do the final thing perfectly, but like getting you to that spot, you might need someone to stand in. And when she does the final thing, you're going to be like, this is one of the most beautiful women to have ever been on screen. And she's so charismatic and she's so like wonderful. And you're just like, look at her. Look at her. I Can I have a tight 15 minutes on this? Like I, um. (laughs) Tight. (laughs) Seriously, this is me like, condensed is she is she your is she your girl no she she is i i would go toe-to-toe with anyone and say that in this film she is the most gorgeous individual to have ever been committed to film um she is just she's like a she's like a stat like she's like this is why wars have been fought um (laughs) She's the Helen of Troy. Yeah, of, uh... basically, she's just, and then the fact that okay, she she's and and, and like, God loved Deborah Winger. Sure. God loved Demi Moore. A Gina Davis because she is so like straight up Hollywood starlet. Then to see her dirty in the dirt, squatting, dirt in the skirt. Dirt in the skirt it it is this encapsulation it is this and, and when i was a little girl it was very much like yeah you can be everything at the time i didn't realize i couldn't be gina davis and believe me from that point on i've had a lot of actually therapy and issues about how i couldn't it's still a problem but um it it is this 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 very fundamental idea that like you don't have to be one you don't have to be another and one of the reasons that a league of their own it was so powerful for me in retrospect is that i never felt not because i was a jo- not because i was a jock uh, i'm a jock in spirit but not in sure. in in actuality but um i never felt like a good woman and like i never felt comfortable being a woman and not in a like not in a gender i identity way but just in a you know there's there there feels like an unspoken and a spoken idea of what women are supposed to be and I just I never felt 
like I was doing it right or I was mm-hmm. doing it well enough or, you know, and, and so to have this movie at such a, a seminal time for me because I was 11 was just like, here are all of these women and like in, in, in various, like, they look different. They're like, as, as beautiful as they all are styled, like they aren't across the board, all like beautiful women. Um, but they're all women. And, and like, that's, that's the issue, right? Like the struggles that they face are because they're women, um, no matter how traditional they are or not, like there, there's still a universality of, of womanhood. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm very <laughs> sorry. Please cut no, all of this I out. Think, I, no, 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 no. I, yeah, I, I like I, looking at this movie. I was like, you know, it is unafraid of saying there. Here's these guys who find Rosie O'Donnell hot, and of course, reading into it now, where we know she's very gay, it's kind of like you're like, okay, sure. But like, they, it's unafraid to be like Rosie O'Donnell is not built like Gina Davis, but these guys think she's hot. Madonna gets to be like. Uh, embrace a lot of the things about her that I would guess she was like maybe insecure about her appearance. Um, you know, Gina Davis, of course, is Gina Davis. Lori Petty is like very different looking from like other. And like, I don't love how this movie makes fun of how Marla Hooch looks, but it's kind of always clear that it's in John Lovett's POV. And then he, she meets only, a guy and she gets married right. and she she's leaves the first the team. one off the team yeah. married. Yeah. Which is yeah. like, uh, you know, uh, um, I, I think that the peaches would have swept the bells if they had had Marla Hooch and Dottie Hinson in the 100%. lineup, but Libby. Something that, that clearly Libby continues to contest with, <laughs> struggle with. Um, I, yes. Well, also, yes. they didn't have any fucking pitchers left. Yeah. Yeah. They traded away Kit. It's yeah. This yeah, is, they only had one. They traded a, Kit and Betty was gone. This is yeah. a great Betty Spaghetti baseball movie, but uh yes. they don't really like Penny Marshall doesn't really take us through the methodical lineup building like Moneyball, which I think is a real flaw. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they could have done that on the show in season two. Yeah. And they just unfortunately were so I on the Gina Davis thing, just for what it's worth. Um Gina Davis, her first role is Tootsie, the totally unproblematic film Tootsie, which comes no out. No problems with that movie. Season. I love that movie. That movie is perfect. Po- perfect. Mm-hmm. No notes. Uh, she's in that. She's in Fletch. Um, the Fly, I think, is when people first kind of take notice of her. She's uh, yeah, obviously co-lead in that film. Great movie. Watch The Fly. It's awesome. Um, then she's I'm in just, Beetlejuice. I'm amazed you like The Fly. Like, I, I know Fly that you like, it's a great movie. I'm yeah. just like, I'm like, you You so often have a reticence to movies that are kind of scary and gross. gross. And that movie's yeah. very scary and gross. I'm, But as you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to expand my horizons. I watched The Fly probably within the last two years, and The Fly is great. And Cronenberg, of course, your fellow countryman. So fellow you got to so oh, Canada for Cronenberg. Exactly. Uh, Beetlejuice comes out in 88. She's got Beetlejuice and The Accidental Tourist both come out in the same year. She wins an Oscar for Accidental Tourist, um, a movie I've never seen. Should I watch The Accidental Tourist? Is it a good movie, guys? I saw it when I was like in high school and I remember <laughs> liking it, but like, okay. don't trust 15-year-old me. Yeah, I'll still, I will check it out. Uh, she's then in Thelma and Louise in 91. Mm. Iconic. A masterpiece. Yeah. A, a, a basically a per- another perfect movie. She does back-to-back perfect movies with Thelma and Louise in, in A League of the Row. Um, she's in another movie called Hero, which also came out in 92, the Stephen Frears movie with Dustin Hoffman, which is sort of weird. Um, I kind of remember seeing it in theaters with my mom and being a little flummoxed by it, but curious about it nonetheless. And then truthfully, she kind of has this moment, a pretty notorious moment. She marries Rennie Harlan. They make Cutthroat Island a 
disastrous movie a movie that basically was like don't ever make pirates movies until pirates of the caribbean makes everybody think we can all make pirate movies but it's a huge disaster it's incredibly expensive she's the lead he wants to make her an action hero last uh long kiss goodnight comes out the next year again Rennie harlan trying to make her action hero it doesn't happen and then that's kind of the end of her feature career. long kiss goodnight's pretty good like, I like Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah. I kind of like Cutthroat Island, quite frankly. I mean, I, I don't I've have never, a I've never seen that one. That one, I've You might like it, Emily. You like I, Pirates. I probably would. I probably <laughs> would be like underrated masterpiece. Yeah. I think you'd be like, guys, where were you? Why did you saw, go to see Cutthroat I, Island? I was looking up. So here's a movie that mm-hmm. I, a horror movie I've never seen and probably will never see, even though I know I'd like it, is The Strangers. Like, I just like, don't need that in my head sure, when sure, I go and sure. stay in an Airbnb, which would happen. Uh, sure. And then they made a sequel, of course, with my 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 girl, Bailey Madison. But uh, they're making a trilogy Correct. of follow-ups directed by Rennie Harlan. Yeah. And I'm just like, wait, I thought he, like, was cryogenically frozen. But no, he's so still too. around. He's still around. He's still doing what he's doing. I mean, it is the Gina Davis run there of, like mid to late 80s early 90s is kind of unparalleled in my opinion in terms of the breadth of what she's capable of doing i think it's interesting i mean this movie in particular kind of falls in her lap she's a sort of a last minute thing but to all of our i mean i think we all agree like it's sort of insane that she wasn't the first choice she really should have been lady tom hanks because she had that range yes and it just yes, like yes yeah that the action hero thing kind of kind of um uh, got yeah. her on the wrong foot but like you can see why they thought she could do that because sigourney weaver is like very that's true similar and like sigourney weaver is action is, hero yeah. well, and charlize theron also, too go ahead she also auditioned for for uh terminator for sarah connor um oh, that's interesting yeah which is obviously linda hamilton is iconic but yeah sure there's it doesn't not work. Yeah. No, for sure. I do think that Gina is I don't think she's a bad action hero necessarily. As we mentioned, I don't think either of the Brenny Harlan films she's bad in them, but I will say that like she is almost too beautiful on a certain level. I, th- I think I think that Americans want their action heroes to be a little bit unapproachable. Yes. Sigourney yes. Weaver and Charlize Theron are a little bit out of this world. You feel like yes. they don't quite exist. And Gina Davis, like her whole thing is, I'm like, I'm like a mom, basically. I'm like a t- PTA yeah. mom. Let you know me, me ask you, let me ask you both a question. Mm-hmm. Is part of Gina's push, the push to make Gina an action star, because we prefer our female action stars tall? Like, was that, did that feel like one of the only places she could go? She's six foot tall. Uh, it, it, it Six feet tall. Um, it is difficult to, you know, there are some men in Hollywood who uh, don't want to uh, be paired with a, a woman who is taller than them. Um, God forbid she wears heels. I mean, I'm thinking about like, I, I remember reading uh, when I was in high school, this movie Circle of Friends with Minnie Driver mm-hmm. and uh, Chris, Chris O'Donnell. O'Donnell, and they built a trench for Minnie Driver to walk in when they had scenes walking. Uh, so she wasn't taller than Chris O'Donnell. That's embarrassing. And so I think about, I think about that a lot. So <laughs> is it one of those things where, you know, 
part of it was out of necessity because yeah. she wasn't getting she wasn't getting as many opportunities as I and let me let me check my my work really quick. Um, sure. Oh wow, I, I you think know it's... what? Meg Ryan's much taller than I expected. Meg Ryan's five eight. I was like, I figure uh, I always think she's like a little pixie you can fit in your pocket. But I do no, she's, think she's five eight. Yeah. I do kind of think like five seven, five eight is like the sweet spot for yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. like so many men who are very huge actors are like five nine, five ten. And so it's mm-hmm. like this, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I also wonder how many tall actresses uh round down in the same way that Absolutely. uh shorter actors round up. Mm-hmm. Not to uh, prove I, that I know too much about Taylor Swift, but her listed height is five ten and a half. And like I've there, I've had people like there is definitely like oh she's actually six foot is like this. Yeah, she's but, definitely taller than that. I you know it, it's interesting. I think I think everything you're saying makes total sense. I think that the the Gina Davis thing is a little bit of Hollywood kind of not knowing what to do with her, and it's perhaps why she's put into these roles i mean thelma louise being kind of a perfect example of that of just sort of you know getting roles that other people might not get i mean a league of their own is another example of that right where it's like people are sort of unsure they don't know what to do they're looking for someone to play this role and she just slots into it perfectly i I also just feel like she can land a joke she's really funny in this movie um She's also got this big heartedness to her, but she also could come across as like kind of a bitchy older sister that's like putting you in your place. She really just plays all of it. I mean, Emily and I, we talked about this a little bit, I think, at the end of the previous episode with Liz Hanna when we were teeing up this episode about the lack of Oscar nominations for this movie and how if this movie comes out today, it's, you know, probably gets 13 Oscar nominations. But in 92, when this is the first film directed by a woman to gross more than $100 million at the box office, I, I think that people are just like, oh, it's a nice popcorn movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Penny Marshall, <laughs> so was also, like... Penny Marshall was also the second woman to direct a Best Picture nominee. It is. Correct. Like her, she's such a groundbreaking figure in American film that we have forgotten, I think, because her career petered out. Like her last few movies are dire but um but yeah like i mean her follow-up to this is pretty dire quick right in in this period when she makes big into awakenings into league of their own you're like well this woman can kind of do anything uh yeah it's i mean she only directs seven movies in her career it's jumpy jack flash big awakenings a league of their own renaissance man the preacher's wife riding in cars with boys i mean that's the run it's pretty crazy um and and I, you know, Renaissance Man ultimately is sort of her undoing in a lot of ways. I mean, Tom Hanks talks about how she was the first choice for Forrest Gump. Um, you know, he, he th- that was now I don't know what Penny Marshall's Forrest Gump looks like, guys. Really hard to say. Um, not sure what that is. But I think that a lot of projects came to her after a league of their own and i think it was a lot of passes or a lot of like i don't know how to do this and she just didn't follow it up and and it just kind of never really you know i gotta say yes 
I don't fault any director. Forrest Gump obviously became a huge sensation. I don't sure, fault sure. any director for reading no, that no. script and being like, what the no. fuck is this? A hundred percent. I wouldn't have read that. I mean, I'd be like, uh, this seems like a tall order. Well, you should sure have directed maybe. Forrest Gump. Like you you were what, 13 at the time? You should have done it. I was, uh, I was 13 when they shot Forrest Gump. So yeah, but I mean, you were I really familiar with like, uh, with the American burgeoning history. digital effects in American history absolutely. at the time. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, it is, it is interesting that she kind of never gets another shot and it's i I don't know i mean listen there's any number of reasons why but this movie in particular gina davis should have been nominated for an academy award for this role that category was so weak that year that's what i'm saying like hank's not getting nominated he should have been but uh supporting actors stronger but there is david paymer right there and you're like get rid of him put tom hanks in that category it's perfect um but yeah (laughs) no no actress was terrible that year like yes. Emma Thompson's in there and Mary McDonald, and I like both of them a lot. And then it's just kind of like, mm. so the nominees: uh, Emma Thompson, who wins for Howard's End; Catherine Deneuve for Indochine; which I've Mary McDonald. Maybe I love it. Which, maybe know. it's great. Mary McDonald for Passion Fish, great. Michelle Pfeiffer for Love Field, a movie I haven't seen, which I at some point will cover. Bad. And then Susan Sarandon for Lorenzo's Oil. I mean, again. Th- you're telling me that Gina Davis shouldn't be in there? And I do like I do like Susan Sarandon again. And so it's like it but also it's like I like Gina Davis better than everybody who's not uh uh Emma Thompson in that that category. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Emma absolutely. Thompson has a towering performance, so like I'm not but yeah, the I mean in the best supporting whatever. actor nominees, of which Tom Hanks should have been nominated as well. But again, this is the this is the moment before Tom Hanks becomes Tom Hanks. This is the movie that makes Tom Hanks Tom Hanks, for mm-hmm. lack of a better way of putting it. It's Gene Hackman who wins for Unforgiven, Jay Davidson for The Crying Game, Jack Nicholson for A Few Good Men, Al Pacino for Glengarry Glenn Ross, and as we mentioned, David Paymer for Mr. Saturday Night. That you cannot tell me. the easiest cut in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's you're the like, easiest. Yeah. I love David Paymer. Don't get me wrong. But like, come on. Um, but to, on the Tom Hanks of it all, he's coming off of basically the he couldn't get arrested kind of it's the burbs turner and hooch joe versus the volcano bonfire of the vanities it is a string of movies i I saw in theaters joe versus the volcano is a great movie yeah i'll ride for joe versus volcano i'll ride for turner and hooch Uh, i don't give a shit i have it i have a ton of nostalgia for turner and hooch it's it's fine it's it's fine i think that was the first pg movie i ever saw Oh, so you saw coach get shot yeah so he's this is why i think he had to really fight for this role i think that you know petty marshall really put him through his paces for the role i think he really wanted it he claims that it's still his favorite movie that he's made um he's so good in this movie this shows it shows every every tool in his tool belt in this movie this is probably my favorite performance, but probably my favorite favorite Hanks performance. Like, I think he is, I just, I like, I can't, I I have trouble talking about it, but he's so good. And you like forget he's Tom Hanks in it somehow. And he's just so much path out. He's so funny. He's so funny. I, I can't imagine other people I don't know how he simultaneously plays it so big and so small. I I don't know. I, 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 he's and I, incredible. I yeah yeah. I 
it's kind of like it's kind of like crazy that my brain is like well his best performance is this or captain phillips and it's like (laughs) batman has range you know i mean for sure i there was a moment that i forgot about that really hit me this time in the rewatch and it's actually the last moment we have with tom hanks in the film and it's he's walking to the bus and so is Dottie. and he's like that was bob huh nice guy and she says yeah and he he is heartbreakingly small in that moment it it, it is jimmy at knowing he's he's not getting the girl and it's he he is it's it's a really heartbreaking moment and i forgot that that's where we leave him that that is the last time we see him on screen it's it's it really got me this time you you like watching tom hanks fall in love he with meg ryan obviously perfect all the time sure. but sure. like there is a thing <laughs> you shut up you there is a thing where uh you kind of just want him to see him have respectful professional work relationships with women and like he does that a fair number of times across his filmography and like the only other example i can think of is woody and jesse the cowgirl which is maybe not like the the best best. example but but like he did like there are you know when the the love story in castaway i think is the weak element of castaway there's just a thing about tom hanks where you're like well i kind of think he's married to meg ryan and like they live in a little house somewhere and like he's got he's like he's just a dad somewhere and like i think one of the nice things about him and gina davis is it is like there is this frisson of like they are two people who are married to different people different things who just like have this connection and it feels that way both the actors and and the roles and like i Mm -hmm. I think uh i watched the scene where they kiss which was cut wisely from the movie and like i see what they were going for because she's like what the what did you just do i don't know please stop and it's just like it just it takes it takes this thing too far it's a fucking grenade that they thankfully did not put in this movie like it i I don't need it to 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 speak to that scene that final scene a mm-hmm. little bit i i he just he's playing so many things and so he's playing obviously is his you know kind of heartbreak that she's not coming back it's heartbreak that he's not going to get the girl but i think what moves me the most in that is his heartbreak that he was not a better version of himself that yes he had all of the capabilities of being a man like bob of of being um someone worthy of respect and maybe worthy of a woman like dotty and um he made choices that yeah that precluded that and um that's one of the hardest things to live with we never yeah we never see him as a baseball player except that shot where it's like the thing in the hall of fame, Jimmy Dugan hits 58 home runs and you see Tom Hanks in the uniform holding the bat. And you're like, he could have played Jimmy Dugan origins, you know, like it, it, it would have worked, but Jimmy Dugan or- origins coming to Amazon prime. Listen, uh, they <laughs> it. AI for good. Y'all. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I think what you guys are both saying, I think is really interesting because it, it speaks to, what I would argue is one of the enormous strengths of this movie, if not 
the biggest strength of this movie, which is the tension between the two of them that is not fulfilled, right? That we don't, that, that's why you can try to shoot that kiss any number of ways you want. I don't want to see the kiss. And withholding that from the audience is so vitally important to this film working for me that I, I think about their scenes together, you know, the, maybe the biggest one being the scene when um, they're on the bus talking about Bob and he goes for his flask and she gives him a Coke. And it's just, there is such a mutual respect for each other there. And obviously there is a connection and it's an emotional one and whether or not it's a romantic one is kind of moot. Like their relationship works on so many levels that it almost does a disservice to it to make it just a romantic relationship. There's a thing where the, in that last scene, yes, you can read it as he's never going to get to kiss her, but there's also this reading of like, oh, he's going to have a lot harder time winning the world series without her. And like, it works on both levels <laughs> yes, and you're like, yes, it is, yes. it is a professional and personal loss for him, which Absolutely. is like, it's so great. Yeah. And also, the, you know, just the idea that, you know, he'd found a kindred spirit, not necessarily in like a soulmate or a twin flame or whatever, but like, here's someone who made different choices from him. Here's someone who was the best, who walked away because she wanted something else. And, and that can be a tragedy, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but but yeah, they, the thought that they could have been much more entwined in each other's lives um you know if if she had been a different version of herself um and i think there is a, a he i think he doesn't completely understand her he he doesn't completely understand how someone could walk away from it um but i also think that has a that says a lot about the difference between men and women at that time too she had never pictured being a professional baseball player because why would she there was never any rubric for that that was never an option uh what she had spent her life doing was planning to stay in her hometown and marry the potential manager of the dairy because what else could would could she want would would she want and it's so scary and i speak this from experience it's so scary to have that challenged, to be like, if you don't want this thing that you have defaulted to wanting because you never thought beyond it, then then is that a failure somehow? Um, sure. You know, is it a failure to is it a failure to not get something that it turns out you didn't want? Uh, it, you know, it's um. There is so much emotional complexity that I think this film understands that it never uh, explicates, ex explains, it never expounds yeah. upon. I'm sure. just going to keep pitching words. Yeah, sure. Um, Mr. Yeah, these are all good alts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I think also, you know, I was thinking about this as I was watching it the other day in terms of the sort of the, the parallel arcs of Dottie and Jimmy. And how both of them are scared, for lack of a better way of putting it, of like challenging their notions of themselves and what society has projected onto them as well. You know, Dottie's whole thing about pushing baseball away, keeping it at arm's length, knowing she loves it, but not wanting to love it because 
she knows she can't have it, right? Like this, this idea of, you know, what the preconceived notion of being a woman in that time is and this idea. And, and that's why it's sort of, it is kind of heartbreaking Dottie's arc in a lot of ways Oh, in yeah. terms of the fact that like, I mean, Kit gets to do, you know, Kit goes for it, right? Like Kit decides to keep playing baseball. We don't really know what Kit's life is, but obviously she meets a man and has a bunch of kids and whatever. But I think that this, this sort of is one of the things that I love about the Dottie Kit relationship is that there's this fearlessness that Kit has because she's in the shadow of what she thinks is greatness. So she's just constantly just like throwing spaghetti against a wall and just going for it. And how much Dottie respects her for that. And, you know, the scene between the two of them at the end made me cry the other day when Kit's just like, when Dottie's like, of course I love you, you're my sister. And Kit being like, really? Like in disbelief that her own sister loves her and respects her. It's just, it's it's incredible stuff. I I th- I'm th- uh, uh, to return to my earlier thing about how a lot of I there are many people I follow on Letterboxd who are like this movie's fun, but like no more than that. Sure. I do think there is a generational thing that is mm-hmm. like, why is this movie about Dottie? Basically, she doesn't seem like if you look at the mm. screenplay of this movie, it is structured so strangely. The first act is about her relationship with Kit. The second act is about her relationship with Jimmy and then like the team. The team is the thing that exists through the whole movie, which is why, you know, this movie is so powerful. The third act is about her relationship with her husband who enters the movie very late, who's kind of not really a presence. And it resolves, but it resolves the other two arcs. And by that point, you've kind of forgotten this movie. It was about Dottie and Kit in a good way, in a way I think makes the movie more rewatchable because she comes back and you're like, oh, right. This is like the big unresolved thing. And it's like, but it is this like weird thing of like, I think if you're making this, honestly, uh, when they made it for Amazon, like the leads were kind of basically, it was basically a movie about like the kits of the world, the women who really wanted to play baseball. I think the strength of this movie is it's about a woman who kind of doesn't want this thing, but also kind of does but can't acknowledge that within herself and the main conflict is within herself but like i get why if you are watching this and you are like have grown up in a world where like that kind of existence for women is like more shunted it still it happens all the time obviously but it's a not less like central to our pop culture like this is a very um this is a movie that grows out of uh you know the sitcom housewife trope in a lot of ways and it's sure it's I do think there is that thing where like if you have not grown up in that in that world, like it, it feels a little bit strange that this movie isn't about Kit because in, in most most movies would be about Kit or they would be about Jimmy. They would. But this movie's about Dottie and that's what's great about it. But like you can feel the way that it could be about one of the other two. I, I think, yeah, this movie is a this movie has a protagonist who is trying to run away from being the protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I can see why that would not be interesting to some people. And I see I, I can see why it might be frustrating to some people to be like, see someone so gifted, with such passion and so good at it, who can, who could just walk away from it because you know you 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 we see that a lot in films and it's usually so demonized you know how could you throw away your gift Mm -hmm. and you know what i'm really good at retail i'm really good at customer service 
fucking hate doing customer service this is a very this is a very stupid like this is a very stupid comparison but like sometimes your gift sucks and you don't want to do it It, it, perhaps a a a better i i make a living as a writer somehow and uh, i don't necessarily enjoy writing uh i i I talk to a lot of people who are just like uh, who are writers who i really love it but like i'm you're married um, to one of them unfortunately yeah (laughs) i'm not um i ran away from writing for a really long time for like a really really long time i'm like nope 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 uh and then i realized it's 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 the only thing uh not only is it something i'm good at but it's also the only thing i can do other than retail um but sometimes you don't want to be the thing that you are sometimes it's too hard and sometimes i get that you know and so i i've I find Dottie very compelling and beautiful. Uh, Obviously, when I was 11, I did not understand uh, many of the feelings I was feeling. uh, And now, in in retrospect, understand much better. Uh, I I think that... um, I think what you guys, what both of you were saying is, is really interesting. I agree with you, Emily, that, like, this movie being about Dottie is kind of weird and the structure of it's weird this as I mentioned earlier the production of this film was bumpy they had a script um there's a story credit to two female writers um Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel are brought in um to are the, punch it up are the two female writers the documentarians who this movie there's a documentary that this inspires oh is that why they have a story movie. credit I, I, I could have sworn that i read somewhere that they did a draft but maybe i'm wrong maybe they did it but yeah I, they might i think they might be there. i mean i'm sure that the bulk of the work was done by Lua gans and Babalu mandel they have the screenwriter credit not a story credit for what that's worth but you know this was a very sort of um improvisation improvisation heavy movie you had penny marshall who obviously comes from you know comedy background wanting this to kind of have that patter that you were talking about earlier libby of just sort of wanting everyone kind of talking over each other and lots of zingers and and logans and Bubba mandela are very very funny writers so there's a lot of great jokes in this thing there's a lot of jokes that are clearly done in adr later like over people's shoulders or like i got a good joke here that i want to throw in like that kind of vibe um penny marshall also casts her daughter in one role tracy reiner plays spaghetti uh, betty spaghetti who's really good and i'm kind of surprised didn't have a career really like didn't maybe just didn't want to be an actor i don't know but but there's so many scenes with her in this movie specifically the scene when she finds out that her husband has been killed overseas that just breaks my fucking heart and she is great in it that's a hard scene to pull off she's great and then she goes to gary marshall her brother to play um walter harvey after at the last minute after they couldn't afford their original choice for the part which was christopher walken um i think (laughs) of course emily loves a chaos pick um that would have been so good would it (laughs) yes gary marshall's great in this Uh, gary marshall is great i i want to just sing the praises of the men in this movie when you think about a league of their own uh you think about the men but like there's there's five men with major parts there's gary marshall there's tom hanks there's john lovitz there's uh my my boy david strathairn and and, uh there's uh uh who am i forgetting who's the other one i'm forgetting bill pullman Pullman, yes all of them 
perfectly understand what they're doing in this movie. None of them try to take it over. Even Tom Hanks, who has, you know, by far the second largest part after Gina Davis. And they're all just like perfectly there in service of the story, in service of the material, in service of Penny Marshall's vision. And like John Lovett's so funny, but he like leaves the movie. He like, they don't keep putting him in. Bill Pullman is just there to be Travis Kelsey watching Taylor Swift. And like, uh, I hope that joke still makes sense when this episode comes out. And I hope that their PR relationship, by the way, by the way, I hope it doesn't. I I hope that their PR relationship. So you know what? Just going to say this. I like was like, uh, I'm all in on it now. I was before I was like, this is the, what a, what a weird like PR thing they're doing. And now I'm just like, yeah, they're going to get married. They're going to get married. They're going to have two large headed sons. It's going to be great. Um, I'm just, here's, here's my feelings. I'm just so thankful that a football player finally got the girl guys because football players just, you know, she hasn't, she hasn't had her dating an athlete arc and I'm glad that we're having it right now. It feels like it it felt inevitable. Um, I, I want to talk uh, about the plot of this movie very briefly, <laughs> but I want to kind of poke around Good it a little bit. We have not actually talked it's about fine. The movie I don't care. I, I, listen, if you haven't, if you're listening to this, you haven't seen a league of their own. Like, who are you? But that being said, um, the actress who plays older Dottie, Lynn Cartwright, looks so much Why? like an older version of Gina Davis. It's insane. I think when I was young, I assumed it was Gina Davis. Yeah, I, I did too. And to the extent, so, like, when I was an adult and watched it for the first time, I still thought it, and I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> so, what's interesting though is Gina Davis dubs her dialogue, which well, I that think would be why goes a long way towards tricking your brain into thinking that it's Gina Davis. But you almost don't—I don't know what Lynn Cartwright sounded like. She might not have sounded like Gina Davis at all, and they felt like, but she looks so much like her. It ultimately wouldn't matter, I think, but. She's amazing. Um, here is a question for both of you. Do we need the bookends? No. Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> they're fine. Like, they're they're fine. I get, you know, I get the, the reason for doing them, especially, like, to drive home that this is, like, a true story. I yes. think they could have uh, handled it just as easily with, like, photos from the real league over the closing credits but like it was very nice because a lot of the women in in those scenes are people people who really played it's nice to see them playing baseball but uh but yeah i i you i would have think you could have done just as well with the closing credits going over footage of that game or something so i never have liked the bookends but i'll say that watching it this time i don't know maybe i was just more emotional hard to say but this time, I took less issue with it, maybe because the first bookend actually kind of works. It's a nice way in. I like the interaction with the grandkids. I like the telling the younger one to kick the older one's ass now that she's sort of lowered the bar for him. Um, I, I think that that dynamic works. What doesn't work for me as well on the flip side is that the, the bookend at the end is just really stilted because like a lot of these people just aren't actors. So you're just kind of like, I wish that I wasn't leaving the movie this way. Um, So that's kind of how I feel about it. But um, I I think that John Lovitz is fantastic. You mentioned that he's kind of barely in it, Emily. They cut back a lot of, he had a much larger role like his. And I think that first of all, he's got a pretty substantive role to begin with. I mean, he's got a good like 
10 or 15 oh, minutes yeah. of screen time and I need more of it. Um, but they, they trimmed away basically all of his lines that weren't jokes. It's basically what happened. So what we're left with is just a guy who's just like zingers for 12 minutes, which is great. He's really funny. He's like um, Iago the parrot. <laughs> That's a perfect, perfect analogy. Yeah, perfect. it really is. I mean, did you promise the cows you'd write? Uh, I mean, he's got so many jokes. The sir, your need, do you like it? Like, there's just all these jokes that are just like kind of coming out of nowhere. Um, I love the callback of of the of the high ones of the fact that Kit is always is always swinging at, which is a great metaphor. Always swinging for balls that are out of her league, um, and that she finally hits one at the end is just like all this stuff that like I'm getting goosebumps and I know it's super tropey stuff, but it all just works and hits on all the levels. Are, are baseball and boxing the two movie sports because they have the best metaphors? Like you can they might be, I like they might be obviously like there's, uh, I've always been like, I think it's because they come down to one-on-one matchups, but I do mm-hmm. think there's something to like tennis doesn't work in movies and it's because there's just, there's not a lot of great metaphors. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I think that sports movies work, because they fit so well into a three-act structure. You know what I mean? Just in terms of all of that. Um, But I also think that the reason this movie works for me is that the, the, and and maybe this is super obvious, but like the sport is feeding into the emotions, but the emotions are far more paramount. The character stuff is so much more important. So like, I got asked the question because I'm curious about what you guys think. But did Dottie mm. drop the ball? Oh, oh, you're going to tear apart our marriage. Like, <laughs> I got asked the question. I'm sorry, Libby. The, but other, like... the, the other night we watched this movie, and I have switched my allegiance over the years. Oh, really? In this. Yeah. And like, okay. Uh, the other night we watched this movie, and we started to have Wait, a conversation. It's... We started to have a conversation about it. And then when you've been married for a long time, you eventually you are like, this is just not worth it. And I just was like, I'm not going to push this button because it's not. Well, okay, you know, I'm not. No, I Phil, it's fine. We can talk about up your we marriage. Can ta- no, no we yeah, have our to, marriage no, is no, going to end but right I, now. But I do. I'll, I'll just. I'll say where I'm coming from on this, okay. and then we can kind of we can unpack it from there. Um, <laughs> I never, ever, ever thought in all the years of watching this movie that she didn't drop the ball on purpose. Until recently, probably when I discussed it with Kenny, and he adamantly disagreed with me did i even entertain the fact that she might have actually just been knocked over so you know by kids so hard that she dropped the ball watching it this time i stand by the fact that i think emotionally i think she dropped the ball to give her sister the win but i think it comes back to sort of what i was teeing up here which is if you're a sports person like kenny nybert is you can't wrap your head around the idea of a person not putting sports first and not having that be the paramount thing. So for me, being a big softy, I look at this and think she obviously gave her sister the win. She wanted her sister to have this moment. But I can logically also wrap my head around someone being of a sports mind and thinking, no, she just, you know, Kit wanted it more which is what, you know, she does say to Kit later. But that's where I land on this. So it's kind of neither kind of, that's that's my thoughts. W- w- where are you guys on this? Because I'm, I'm sensing from your nodding, Libby, that you are more on the emotional wavelength of that she wanted her sister to have the win. Okay. I am. 
And, and that's where I, that's where I've always been. And yeah. I get really upset about it. Sorry. Because I think I'm probably wrong. <laughs> and you hate I being wrong. Sounds, well, I hate being wrong. And I, I just feel, like, I feel what you're feeling. Too, I feel, I, I like, I, I, um, I like, I, I, I really respect that no one has ever, you know, clarified and, and Penny's gone. Uh, Gina Davis says she does know, but she'll never tell. Um, <laughs> which I, I could get that. into conspiracy theories about that too. But um, okay. But, but um, I I, I want to live in the in the in the um, Schro- Schrodinger's cat of it all. But I've always believed that she let go because she'd already she'd already let go. Of baseball and here's the thing this is my argument and I, I don't want to even call it an argument because that feels like something I could lose um here is here is my thought process uh-huh. she went to the pitcher she told them Kit's weak spot mm-hmm. uh she played the game and Kit beat her Kit did the thing. Kit did the thing that she's never been able to do. She um she proved herself. And I think whether front of her mind or not, mm-hmm. we'd seen Dottie take a hit before and hold on to that ball. Yep. Um we see her give Kit the explanation that um she wanted it more. Yeah, that cut kind of covers it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's upset afterwards because she hates herself for it. <laughs> I think she feels guilty. I think she. That's interesting. That's um, interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's an argument to be made that she's upset because she's she got Lost beat. You know, yeah. I can I could sit here and convincingly make the other side of the argument. Absolutely. Um. And your wife will do just that, is my assumption. I know, and she'll use like directing, like, oh, well, the direction of the film is says that, you know, obviously, fart, 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 and your feelings don't matter. Um, That's gonna be my new kind of argument. Fart, fart, fart. Yeah. Oh, you're a snowflake. Oh, you, you yeah, know, snowflake. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I get it. <laughs> But somewhere inside of me, I'm still 11 years old, and I know. I feel the same way. What I know, what I know, mm-hmm. and I I don't really feel like challenging it. That's that's ultimately what it comes down to. I is, get it. Um, I get it. Because the the and I will I will say this: we can cut it out. But there is a sense of like there is the there are the Kenny Nyberts of the world, and and they're always they're always the sports people are always like. You're a fucking idiot if you think for a second that yeah. y- you know she didn't she wasn't beaten because she would never do that. Now they would never do that, and I'm just like, well, they're still humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I I get the I get the arguments with like she wouldn't do that to her team, but like also she already left her team for like six games of a World Series, so like I don't know that that's the best argument to make. Okay, Emily, go. Marla Hooch should have come back. 
and just like I mean, smashed some great rooms. We're gonna blame someone for this. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> um, blame Betty Spaghetti's husband. Yeah, she died. Seriously. Let's blame Adolf Hitler. Yeah, for that's fair. Corrupt. And I do. Yeah. Um, I am sort of like you, Phil. I saw this movie a couple times and never, ever, ever thought there was an alternate interpretation other than. Dottie drops the ball on purpose, mm-hmm. whether subconsciously or consciously. Then I think it was like 2020, people were arguing about this movie on Twitter. And I remember there were people who were like, I cannot believe you think she dropped it on purpose. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's an interesting read of this film. I saw this again in theaters, was like, I still was mostly team. She drops it on purpose. But here's the interesting thing. I have this weird thing in my brain that helped me a lot as a critic because I never took notes where I have like, photographic recall of movies and tv shows like i remember shots i remember like lines of dialogue i don't have to like libby's sit and take notes incredible just, just back me up on this libby Shut up. <laughs> it's been like i want to like every so often i will remember something inaccurately and i had remembered this movie inaccurately i thought there was more direct ambiguity in the shot of her hand releasing the ball I thought there was a moment of her holding the ball and then letting it go. And instead, it's very much a quicker, it rolls out of her hand. I, well, it, her hand hits the dirt and, and it rolls out. Yeah, exactly. And like, I I understand that this scene is is ambiguous to some extent, but I do think the filmmaking of it is very much setting up. Kit came in and hit her so hard that she let the ball go. And I still probably think there's a subconscious element of her like you know being like i'm done with baseball my sister wants it more i think that's in there somewhere but i definitely think to me the emotional read that feels more fulfilling is that kit just beat her that she just like i I think it's a little bit cruel and condescending if gina davis lets her win i think kit beating her older sister is and this is to be clear I'm the older sister. So like, I'm like reading this in terms of, yeah, I, I don't want to like, there is that thing of like, um, uh, you know, how, how, uh, older Dottie talks to her grandsons of that thing of like, uh, you can't just like, you gotta be nice to your younger sibling, but you can't just let them, you can't just give something to them. And like emotionally now it's more effective to me if she, if she uh is beaten by kit um i'm not like die hard for this i've held both positions in my life i think there's a very, very solid emotional argument for she doesn't drop it on purpose i i think there's i mean listen i i think that libby and i fall probably pretty similarly in the sense that um it's it's how i always assumed it played out so it's kind of hard for my brain to kind of get on board with something. I'm also like, I just, I can never get on a sporto headspace in terms of like, it's just, just not where I, it's not where my brain goes. I agree with what you're saying, Emily, that, that there is an emotionally satisfying version of that as well. I think that when push comes to shove, when everything is no pun intended, when everything is said and done, what it comes down to for me, is the look on Dottie's face as Kit is being lifted up by her team, right? Which is that the pride she has for her sister, the happiness that her sister gets this moment, a moment that her sister's been, you know, trying so hard to do for so long. 
um, to be out of the shadow of her sister, whether she, you know, whether it's intentional or not, I think that that's the, the end result is the same, mm -hmm. which I think is important, which yeah. is that Dottie is happy for her sister. Yeah, she's upset and she's happy. And I think that yes. she plays, and I think that that read, yeah, I think that that is true no matter what read you buy. And I think that's why the movie works. The ambiguity is in an action sure. that ultimately doesn't matter to the resolution of the film, but it's also, also fun to argue about. I have so many younger sisters and I love them all dearly and I want them all to be happy. But if they think they're going to beat me at anything, they better fucking bring their best. So I, I think Scrabble. That, well, this also to me kind of speaks to, First of all, our hero, and I put that in quotation marks, but our, our protagonist loses, right? The end of this movie is is not Dottie winning. It's Dottie losing. And on top of that, the team we've been following the entire time also losing. So that in and of itself is kind of crazy, right? That that a movie does this and sort of zigs when we're expecting it to zag. I also think had they won, it wouldn't have been nearly as... Um, emotionally satisfying do you know honestly. what do you know what movie this is just like i don't bring it on <laughs> sure bring it on sure. is another movie that is about a character sure. realizing that there's like a that a character giving her all in losing and finding like uh like a, a real like satisfaction in losing if that makes sense sure. it's another movie where it's there's no reason why the lead character is the lead character you'd expect that to be gabrielle union or eliza dushku and like kirsten dunst she's phenomenal in it but like sure. the character of torrance doesn't have a lot of like centrality to that narrative that's it's, true it's that's true yeah there is this interesting thing i love a sports movie where the team loses at the end so uh and i think that they I. tend to be more iconic i agree i mean that's the friday night lights model for all intents and purposes as well you know i mean of, of just sort of the the underdog team to some degree or another but i you know one of the things that i love about the kit and dotty relationship is that as different as they are, they are also both kind of on the same page. Like I think about the the Marla tryout scene, right? Where Ernie's not going to give her a, a slot because of how she looks. And then they both put down their bags and say, fuck, like, what are you fucking doing? Like, are you, are you kidding? Because she's not hot. Um, I, I think that that's just a lovely kind of moment when you realize they're actually cut very much from the same cloth. Um, they're not all that dissimilar. The conflict so, comes from how similar they are. Correct. Correct. I, I also, I mean, the scene that also got me is um, the scene with Marla and her dad when she's saying goodbye. And he's like, you got to go where things happen. Um, just amazing. Uh, the, the dad who also plays um, a hitman in the previous film that we covered in Sneakers, uh, which I think is amazing. Um, but Strathairn. Uh, Strathairn. It's Strathairn. Just, oh, just... we're going to get to Strathairn. But I, I, I do feel like the tryouts are incredible. Hans Zimmer's score fucking rips. Just don't like, like the score. That's the one what? thing about this movie I don't like. The main theme's fine. I think it is Hans Zimmer trying to be Randy Newman, and it doesn't quite work for me. Oh my god, that's I couldn't. I could not disagree with you more. I think when he's killing it over these montages, and you've got the fucking trumpets and the just like you, I'm ready to run into the street screaming for the Rockford Peaches. <laughs> I don't. Know, I don't know what you're talking about, but um, I. I the kid trying out getting on the team again the call back to that and saying like thank you for getting she's like i just got you on the train it's just like again these are the moments where you're just like that 
that central relationship of the, I mean, I, I don't have any siblings, but I think this is one of the best sisters movies just in terms of really, you don't think it's a good sister movie? Libby? No, I do. I, I think I wanted to add a moment, which is, yeah. you know, they're at home and, and yes. kids makes yes. her plea and she's like, I, I can't, I can't stay here. There's, you know, there's nothing for me here. And she's right. Like, she'd die there it's one thing for Dottie to have you know her life laid out for her but Kit needs yeah more and like so at the end <laughs> yes yes sure <laughs> it, it doesn't matter why Dottie what happens because symbolically Dottie's letting go of this life she's letting go of 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 all of that that's that's ultimately what Dottie's letting go of mm -hmm. regardless of whether she's letting go of the ball or not but also um I think that peaches lose and it's important for the peaches lose because the league loses it, you know it, it right. temporarily lasts but it's temporary and um it doesn't it isn't necessarily a happy ending like yes there's there's some progress, but you know, women's sports still aren't, um, you know, seen at the same level. I, like, I, it, it's good. It's right that it's bittersweet. Um, mm -hmm. I think, and probably, probably, it's the right call to have the bumper at the end uh, to see As you're saying, how I'm they all right. like are yeah. very happy with how special it wins. was. Yeah, the victories. Of yeah, but um, I agree with that. It's, yeah. you know, this movie is filled with a lot of sort of, um, in lesser hands, treacly moments, right? I, I think about Shirley not being able to read and being able to see her name on the, you know, um, uh, tryout list or what have you. Yeah, the roster. Um, in lesser hands, that scene would have been brutal. But it's, I, I do think that Penny Marshall has a very light touch about the stuff you're talking about. So, the ending, as disappointing as it is, I think she finds a way to navigate that so it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. It feels like a win. And part of that is because we love Kit and we're happy for Kit. And that goes a long way. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Tom Hanks doesn't come into this movie until 30 minutes into the film where he's shielding his eyes because he's got a hangover from the sun. And he's got an amazing scene with Gary Marshall where... Uh, just a, a, a great scene of expositional dialogue. As as we both know, or all three of us know, uh, writing expositional dialogue sucks. And Love having it. to backfill information sucks. <laughs> um, and to make it funny, and to make it sing, and to have two pages of, or three pages of these two guys. And like, I didn't, I've never thought of it as expositional. Like, like, like obviously yeah. that is what it is. Uh, obviously, and it's the really the only way to get Tom Hanks in the film. But like, they're so good. It's so deft. Um, yeah, it, it never, I, I've never, and maybe I'm bad at my job for this reason, but like, I, I just never yeah. thought about it that way because it's so entertaining. And because I, I just am desperate to know more. Like the, the Absolutely. second they say anything, like, I'm like, oh my God, what is this history? Tell me everything. Yeah. Uh, it's like, how did this happen? When he's yeah, like, I would have written you a thank you letter, but they wouldn't let me to have anything sharp to write with. And you're just like, what is happening? Like, like what in, are the, yeah. in my defense, 
there was the ho- there was a there was a fire. He's like, you set that fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like everything is is just it, it it's set up punchline and um, God, I fucking love this movie. It's just it's exquisite. great. I, I mean, like, Jimmy showing up drunk on the first oh day, the pee take, which by the way, Penny Marshall was off camera she had the hose so no one knew when he was going to be done peeing not even tom hanks so she's just like keeping it going as long as she wants which i think is fantastic um him tearing up betty's husband's baseball card where i'm just like (laughs) like, poor betty it's it's really it's amazing but to go to what you're you were talking about earlier emily on a on a script level like if we sat down and took the beats and like boarded out this script, you'd just be like, "Wait, what now? Like now we're gonna poison Miss Cuthbert. We're gonna go to a a, a bar. We're gonna have a dance scene. We're not obviously great at that dance scene. You're gonna have a kid hitting on Dottie that gives her a lift. You're gonna like it's it it feels like a comedy, right? Where it's kind of banging around from plot point to plot point, and yet it works. I, I don't know." It shouldn't. It's very episodic. And I think that I think yes. you can get away with that in a baseball movie because yes. of how baseball structured. Um sure. I I as as we're sort of mm-hmm. heading toward the conclusion, um I sure. I have actually have no memory of what where where we are in this movie because uh uh but uh I think there's like a especially in the sisters thing, there's like a there's like a subtextual subtextual queer quality to this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It being it's a little I bit think gay, she's a little coded yeah, but I she's like that. not obviously she comes back and she has like 17 children <laughs> yeah. so you're like okay well we just had so to read, you're not yeah, well yeah. yeah just so you didn't get the wrong idea about kit um, here's all of her progeny is is that a Lori petty thing a little bit though like i think about her in point break the year previous right and like that movie's playing to some degree with androgyny or gender roles well yeah Lori Lori petty always kind of feels like she's like starring in a much queerer version of whatever movie you're watching (laughs) um and like that includes like like station 11 um uh but um (laughs) it's uh there there is this like thing where a lot of the characters are kind of queer coded and it's sure. you know obviously it's 1992 so they can't be overt about it and they have to reassure you at the end that they all got married to boys but like uh you know the amazon series draws on the actual memories of the players in this league who are like oh yeah we were having sex all the time and it's like uh awesome. but it is there <laughs> i do like the way that it portrays kit needs to get out of there because the only way she can be herself is to go somewhere again where things happen and uh there's a tremendously queer uh, uh character it's arc there yeah. and dotty being like i support you but i can't live that life is also like a, a very like yes. obviously she's extremely cishet coded not coded <laughs> at all but like it, it is you know it is that that fundamental experience sometimes of like having a queer sibling and not you know loving them but also being like my life i fit so much better in this other world so i i hear that for sure i i think that this is a very straight movie, right? Like the way that this movie handles sex is essentially Madonna, right? Mm-hmm. Like Madonna's teaching Shirley how to read by reading erotica, um, which is a great scene. Um, you know, Madonna making out with boys or men at the, at the bar, like that is the, the sort of rompy kind of playful way that it, that it deals with sex. Um, but I, I, I want to talk about um, David Strathairn, Mr. Lowenstein, 
for a quick second here because huh. I know Emily can't we can't wrap this up without talking about your man. Huh. Here's the thing. Emily doesn't isn't the person in this household who loves David Strathairn the most. That's just like I just think he's. Oh, I, I didn't know this. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Please, go for it. So David Strathairn, um, who plays Mr. Lowenstein, which is essentially sort of uh, Gary Marshall's number two, who's sort of running the league. Um, there's this moment, probably two thirds of the way through the film, when the league isn't doing particularly well, and it looks like it's going to get shut down. Uh, and he says to the to the team, like you know really really be special today we've got a we've got a photographer for life magazine whatever madonna who's given a really great moment nails her speech where she's just like you're not fucking shutting me down like i'm i'm not going back to having some fucking guy sweating gin on me or whatever like she gives a great speech and and strathairn is perfectly cast in this role as a guy who you feel wants to do the right thing the the big sort of speech he gives Gary Marshall near the end of the film where he's like, you're really going to shut this shit down. Like you, we just told these women to get out of the kitchen to serve their country. And now we're going to tell them to get back in the kitchen. He is so good in this movie in a not showy role. Um, He's an ally. Let's just say it. (laughs) He's an ally. (laughs) Ira Lowenstein ally. The only Um, thing that would have made it better is if throughout this entire movie, he was wearing a trucker cap that said trout on it. Like that would be... (laughs) Uh, that's a shout out to Passion Fish for all for our listeners. Yeah, um, I mean they listen to the Passion Fish episode with great because they obviously. have Passion Fish fever. So <laughs> great movie, by the way. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen, there's obviously there's a bunch of stuff that happens, but we've got sort of this Marla leaves Dottie protecting the plate, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, perhaps setting the stage for something near the end of the film. Um, I, I also it inarguably sets the stage for something. Yes. It's just yes. like you either believe it sets the stage yes. for her Absolutely. giving Kit yes. the win or for showing how much Kit has improved by getting out wanna, from under her sister's shot. I want to talk for just a quick second about so Kit is traded. Okay. So we have this moment where Dottie's like, I want fucking out of this. Lowenstein's like, okay, we'll do a trade. I'll figure it out. And then Kit gets traded to the Racine Bells. And Kit and her get in this big fight. I understand Kit's frustrations, but Kit thinking that Dottie has some Machiavellian plan here to like somehow destroy her fucking baseball career is ridiculous. Well, you don't have siblings. Yeah, that's so clear. You don't have siblings. Like you never said anything. Like, I mean, Kit has always blamed Dottie. Like, like that's just that's just what she, you know, um, because she's wasn't as good as Dottie. Like I. Like I have a beautiful sister and it's her fault. Um you know. I I, I, I mean I I'm joking, but like you know, yeah, um sure, you and sure. your sister have such dotty kit energy. I, I love know. that. Well there's like <laughs> she's like ten years older than me, so it's you know. Um but yeah, it's 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 just um she has to kids angry at herself she's angry at the situation she's angry at dotty because it's always been safe to lash out at dotty because mm-hmm. dotty's always gonna love her whether kid realizes that but like yeah. you don't lash out at you don't lash out at someone like that if it isn't safe to lash out at them i think especially for women yeah. in this in this period of time um i i hear that i think it's and, and just to be clear 
I'm not suggesting that her irrational behavior oh, isn't yeah. justified. It's just She's every crazy. time I listen to, the, to <laughs> yeah. this fight, I'm just and Dottie goes in and says, "Blow it out your rear end, Ken." I'm like, "Yes, blow it out your rear end, Ken." Do it. You're making no fucking sense. Yeah. Um, and then when obviously at the end of the scene she's like oh piss on your head <laughs> on your hat it's fucking crazy. <laughs> has someone seen my new red hat <laughs> she's incredible that oh, actress yeah. who um she was on mad about you am i crazy that she was on that show i'm trying to remember like why i know that actress because i know she's been in other stuff but she's so good in this movie as like this just in another world person, this person who's just like completely living in her own little, uh, it's just incredible. Even at the end, like at the very end, when um, the uh, the stand-in catcher for Dottie is like, you say that because you, you don't have to go to Saskatchewan for the next five months. And she's like, well, you said it was really lovely. Like there is something about the way that she sees this world, this very idyllic perspective. Um, I want uh, the scene where Betty finds out that, that George has died overseas Ugh. is a great scene because of how it's blocked and how it's directed. The way that Tom Hanks is walking down this hall or down, sorry, down the locker room and people not knowing who he's going to land on. And then the moment that it becomes clear that it's Dottie or Betty. And Betty shoots her a very quick look. Like this moment of just like an acknowledgement that like it's 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 us against the world. And like almost a hopefulness that it's Dottie and not her is tremendous. And like like in a like an apology. Yes, yes. For yes. that betrayal of like yes. I'm sorry that all I want right now is for your husband to be dead. Yeah, you know. It's and and it's wordless. Like this is yeah. a, again a, a testament to all the actors in this scene, everyone around them, right? Like the people that are just you know witness to this thing, and but for this, it to yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. But like, yeah, like what gets me every time is the person as soon as Hanks is clear of them who sprints out for Miss Cuthbert. Um, yes, Hanks opening it and like knowing yes immediately which is testament to how much he's changed from from the beginning of his of his coaching uh it's it's it's, him hugging her yeah like again he this is again a testament not just to, to a testament to everybody that tom hanks's gradual from from the guy who was scratching his balls for an hour to a guy who is now hugging Betty Spaghetti. Anything, is, anything, <laughs> anything worth, worth doing, doing is, is worth doing, doing right. Well. <laughs> um, I can certainly use the money. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just good shit. But that arc is just perfect. Um, it's, it's just wonderful. And the fact that it kind of comes out of nowhere, because that's fitting. Because that's that's because it did. Because yeah. it does. Because it's 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 really really good um it's heartfelt and i also think that part of the reason this scene works so well is that it's teed up with the callousness of the shitty fucking soldier who doesn't even want to give the the telegram because he doesn't know who blah 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 like you need that callousness and to see tom hanks push like that allows us into the scene in in such a beautiful way um and like his anchor yes. and like the the the, the, the sh- this like showing that that he's still like he's still jimmy dugan he still has yes. that temper he still has very little patience for people's yes. foolishness um 
yeah, it, I, I'm sorry. I keep interrupting. I just love this movie. Not, so don't, 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 I mean, that's the truth. It's, it's just, it's, I, I really do think that this movie is a masterclass in a lot of ways, but I think that the thing that I really took away and this underscores what you were saying, Emily, is that if I put this script under a microscope, it kind of doesn't make a ton of sense, right? Like it's, it's bumpy and it's a testament to, or a masterclass of, casting and directing and tone that you can take a script that might not be seamless and turn it into in my opinion a seamless movie like intent and knowing like penny marshall just knowing what the tone was and what the 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 dials were so perfectly i also think there's no genre of film that can afford bumpiness more than a sports movie there's such a like the clear the arc is always clear the season is always going to one place and, uh, you know, a, a sports movie can be a lot worse than this and still be very good. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it, sort of what we were talking about earlier of like the the bones and the DNA of the quote unquote sports movie are so solid. Like those flags are planted so deep that I think an audience is going to kind of go on a ride with almost any of them. Right. Like, I mean, I'm for, I say that there are obviously a lot of bad sports movies, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, and. But most of those would have a rousing, happy ending in a like way that this day. film. <laughs> Everyone's favorite draft day. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I can obviously talk about this for a million years, but I feel like um, we've talked about it for a long time. Well, you should write a sports guys. movie. It should be called Hockey Friends. <laughs> listen, I would write Hockey Friends. Yeah. I would write Hockey Friends. Yeah, that's the new project. Um, oh, so yeah. Uh, Hockey probably is the sport that has the least amount of successful movies. We've covered uh, one of them. Mighty Ducks, obviously. Slap Miracle shot? is pissed. Miracle. Miracle's very good. Slapshot. But fun. I hate it because I mean it's America a lot of I mean trauma. USA. Trauma. USA. I get it. I we get beat it, the USSR, Phil. Canada had you nothing did. to do with it. We had nothing to do with it. I agree with that. That's true. You did. You beat communism through hockey. We beat communism, yeah. and everything I, I was mean, good after that. Miracle's good. Slapshot's anyway. good. And mir- you know what? Mystery Alaska is not terrible, guys. Um, hockey friends is. coming to a theater near you, written and directed <laughs> anyway. by Philisco. Um, let's let's rate this movie. I have a feeling that I know where Libby will land. I know where I land. It's ninety nines across the board, guys. This movie is had. I have literally no notes. <laughs> I can't. I can't like. I this can't is, be rational about this. Film. I can't be rational about this. The last time I was probably this irrational was probably when Harry met Sally, another movie that I think kind of unimpeachable in my humble opinion. It is so in my DNA. I've seen it so many times that I, I can't even. So that's where I'm at. Where are you at, Emily? 92 for 92. I got I got some small <laughs> quibbles. Uh, you that's, know, that's good. But like, that's, but that's I good. I love this movie. I have I had has grown in my esteem over the years. Sure. I really liked it when I was a kid, and now I I, I unabashedly love it. As your estrogen levels have? How's my estrogen levels have increased? <laughs> um, I uh, uh uh I got it for the queer phobia scale. Um, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. give it my standard three, which is just like there's no overt queer phobia, but you can tell a lot of these people like don't like homosexuals. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of cool subtext that i think makes this mm-hmm. movie uh uh really sing if you read it through a queer lens and uh honestly if if the tv series had never existed i might uh be a little bit more charitable but the tv series is so much more like darcy carden and abby jacobson have like a thing in that it's it's good it's hot they do that the show you know 
I, I, I don't want to say I feel bad for the show because that feels, you know, um, patronizing. Just such a high bar for me that I was just like, I understand why you're, why you want to try to do this. And, and it's a, a, a noble goal, but I just, I couldn't get into it because I love the movie so much. Uh I I like I had in my brain the original TV series from the mid nineties oh, for sure, CBS, sure. which I watched a couple episodes of for an AV Club article, and uh, that is so bad. So I was like, <laughs> well, this is better than that. It's not as good as the movie, to be clear, but like it, right. it, it's it's it, it is a worthy thing. Do you think? Do you think? I mean, hindsight. Hmm. She, uh, and I don't even know if you could get it made without the League of Their Own tag, but like would it have been better would it would it have um opened it up more if they didn't have that hanging over them if they were just like let's make a you know there was this women's baseball league um let's i think that's a really fertile ground for and you could sort of distance yourself a little bit from 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 the iconography of well because the comparisons would be there no matter what right Right. like i'm sure people would be like oh this is whatever but better to just i i agree with you just not have the title i understand also that we live in this ip saturated universe and that it's incredibly hard to get things made but all that being said i'm glad it exists i certainly didn't hate it but i also found myself just not being able to lock into it in the way that i wanted to because of the title but where are you libby we didn't get your rating are you just 99 i think it's i i mean i i it's one of those that i own it feels like anymore i only come on the show for for movies i love so it's yeah. it's kind of uh moot for me to rate these but i'd say 99 it, like, like the ending i am unable to be rational about this film sure, sure, um sure. i just <laughs> i mean have me back on for zodiac uh Great. It, like um yeah. it's it's just part of me it, it is so fundamental and like who i am and why i am the way i am that there, there's no way for me to be impartial or rational about it so i think that full marks. you know Ken, kenny and i had a similar i think it's an age thing too right <laughs> which is that you know kenny and i when we did our 89 series these were movies we saw so young that they imprinted on us and oh, we yeah. saw them so many times and as Emily can attest with this miniseries, there have been a handful of those types of movies for me where like I kind of can't separate the amount of times I watched it on VHS at like two in the morning. You know, uh, it, yeah, it doesn't make sense to a woman a good movie, but it's a movie I saw a million times, um, you know, so it is just one of those kind of things. But um, so next week we are covering the aforementioned film you've never seen Libby, which is Batman Returns um, with a. Uh, uh tbd uh guest we'll figure that out when we figure that out Libby, but do you um... want to come on for batman returns <laughs> I, I mean if you, you really would. can't find anyone I, like i, I can on, i honestly you sort of alluded to this emily would love to get libby's take on you know selena kyle and catwoman because like i think you'd have a pretty hot take <laughs> but I, mean, I also think you'd think you Michelle might not Pfeiffer like is a hot take Right. I don't know that you would like anything else about the movie. I actually, I like, I think here's the thing is like, I have a weird, I have a very difficult time actually with overt sexuality. So I would probably just be mm. so uncomfortable and I would just sit there on the podcast and be like, uh. listen, Libby. Well, because it's think... a very horny penguin, too. Yeah. So you, gross. you think oh, Michelle gross. Pfeiffer's hot, penguins hot. That's, that's, you guys if know you... how much I like <laughs> elaborate makeup. 
you don't want to hear Danny DeVito say overly horny lines while green drool comes out of (laughs) genuinely i i know my wife very well strangely uh and this uh like i think batman returns would 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 be just a nightmare movie for her like i think that she would like be like what this is literally what would happen is she would be like okay so zero to 99 what are you gonna do and libby would be like i respect the craft in this movie i get why you like it but jesus christ and she gave it like a 36 so well, here's the other thing, too. You, as you mentioned, you're not a Tim Burton guy. Or, sorry, you're not a Tim Burton girl. I'm not um, a Tim Burton guy. Like, I, uh, it's whatever. This is the maybe the most Tim Burton movie in terms of him just having free reign to do whatever the fuck he wants. Oh, so it's Jesus just like, Christ. it's just really the most Tim Burton. More, anyway, than like, uh, more than like fucking Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. hundred percent. Oh, my God. Because no. it's... it's it's also he's like gloomy and he's sad at this point. It's all new. It. It's I, I I love this movie unabashedly. But. I I like Batman Returns more than mm-hmm. I know my wife would. I can't mm. get there with you because again, it's the Tim Burton thing. I just find him very. I get it. We're gonna unpack yeah. all of that. Um, we have a string of Christmas movies coming out uh, over the the end of December. Batman Returns, Muppet Christmas Carol, Home Alone two. <laughs> everyone's oh. favorite christmas movie That's um triggering it's it's listen it's emily's time of year so you know it's christmas ding dong ding dong do, 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 do. can i just say that was a little bit harrowing the way you were I, it almost seemed like a Wait. horror movie the way hold on yes are you two doing the remake oh no it's a tv movie oh, there's well, a tv maybe. movie of Christmas in Connecticut Ugh. from 1992. No, we're not doing that. Starring Diane Cannon and Chris Christopherson. But do you know who is directed by? Who? I have no idea. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> okay, we're doing it. Wait, 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 wait. Do you know when it came out? When? Christmas Day. April 13th. <laughs> <laughs> What's great about that is that would that means it was Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> I mean, Christmas well, it's a TV movie. They might have put it on Sunday. They might have put it on. Yeah, they might. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Emily, I'm just I'm I'm excited to get into Christmas with you, um, and to go whole hog. We're going to go Christmas on a season. journey together into just like, um, but we're like all, like we're we're not just doing Christmas movies, right? For no, like, no, okay, December is uh I'll, for what it's worth just for our listeners doesn't really matter but december is the bodyguard sneakers a league of the road batman returns muppet christmas carol and home alone 2 uh libby loves libby fucking loves the bodyguard so <laughs> do you love I the saw bodyguard? That in theaters did you really um i yeah I, I i'm very curious in like 30 years have you seen it emily I th- you know what I, I have seen it. I didn't see it in theaters, but like I, I'm I don't very remember curious it at all. Yeah. To, I have not watched it in a very, very long time. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, I'm excited to unpack it um with your friends, Emily. Um My best who are coming on to talk about it. Yes. Yeah, cool. Uh it's gonna be great. Libby, you're the best. Obviously, I, I love you. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. Thank you. Like I and like you, I mean I love yeah. being on the podcast when it's movies. I love. Let's keep this uh trend. We're going this is this is the thing. Uh, I've realized that um, you're happier 
when you come on for movies that you like. And I just like it when you're happy, Libby. So, Thanks, like, Phil, I that's, do too. I mean, that's why Cool World was not a movie that I thought you should come on for. <laughs> for our listeners, I legitimately got a phone call from Libby after Cool World saying, why are you doing this <laughs> to me and my home? And listen, that's a justified. It's, it's, it's fair. Yeah, I get a it. question. Yeah. <laughs> was that like the, yeah, because that was, I mean, yeah. obviously that was when we had a newborn. Yeah. It definitely, like, it definitely set the bar low. I was like, well, most things are going to be better than this. And they all have been. So but here's what I'll also say too. Emily's a wild card. And if Emily had come on for cruel and said like, this movie rips. I wouldn't have been never do that. But I, I don't know with you. Sometimes you're you're a fan of things where I'm just like, sure. That are bad. <laughs> well, that I don't particularly love. Let's that put it that way. Bad. I'm that I'm surprised by. You 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 become a stand for things that I'm just like, is this a bit? It always yeah. is until it isn't. Yeah. I was I was a Taylor Swift fan as a bit, and look at me now. <laughs> Can I make you a t-shirt that says that? Yeah. Yeah. I'll 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 wear it to her wedding to Travis. Oh my God. Okay. Don't wish such things. Oh, this was great. Libby, you're Thanks the best. So much. We can't wait to have me. you back on. Where can, yeah. where, can people, that you love. where can people find you, Libby? And what what would you have anything you want to plug? Am I supposed to like my address? They, yes. I don't want I don't want I, them well, to find Libby, me. you are still on Twitter. Theoretically, the X. Theoretically. Right. A, a terrible place to be. Don't go there. Right. But you're also uh, on Instagram. Right. I I, I mean, I mostly uh, I mostly post Talk. on my child's account, my yes, child's lots account, that's pictures that's of my fair. child. I yeah. am theoretically uh, on Instagram. I, you can find me uh, on Twitter slash X slash Instagram mm-hmm. at Midwest Spitfire. Mm-hmm. Um, I might but actually Libby be locked down. But on Blue oh. Sky, I am Libby Hill. Ooh. I was an early adopter, and I was able to beat the uh, the. The local uh, Carolina chain, Libby Hill Seafood, to the punch. Yeah. They can eat uh, it. Well, they can find you there, and then you know, hopefully, they'll they'll see your episode someday in the future of television, right? Maybe, 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 maybe. Maybe, so, maybe, maybe. Yeah. We can't we can't take any credit for anything on Yellow Jackets the show yet because nothing we've written has made it to air. We can take credit for the insect though. We did invent Ooh. Yellow Jacket the insect. So. Yes. Oh, that's cool. The, the actual the bee. Yeah, that was the, the pitch that we made to God, and God was this, like, this, "Sounds this, good." Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right, guys. Love you both. Love you. you Thanks. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 